0: The most valuable
1: business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who knows none of this would be happening if Carly Fiorina won the nomination in 2016. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is, of course, Carly Fiorina, the former CEO of HP and also a former candidate for the Republican nomination for president back in the distant year of 2016. Today, she advises for-profit businesses through her firm, Carly Fiorina Enterprises, and nonprofits through a charitable foundation called Unlocking Potential. She's also the best-selling author of several books, including most recently "Find Your Way," and host a podcast called "By Example." Carly, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you so much. So it's great to be with you. You were Kat. noting we have not seen each other since we wrangled on stage at All Things D. Yes, like all 10, things- 15 years ago. Wow, it seems like it might be a 10 long to 15, time when ago when you were running. Do you HP? have to remind me. Of how no, long ago I'm was. old too, Carly. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about your background, so people who don't know you understand. You know, you had a you had a long career in tech and was one of the first significant CEO women CEOs, and I'm not going to focus just on them, but you were. It was kind of yes unusual. <laughs> um, so talk a little bit about your background, so people can get an idea of the stuff you did before.
0: Well, I um, graduated from college with a degree in medieval history and philosophy. Mm -hmm. That is why I had to go to law school, I thought, Mm -hmm. and dropped out immediately. My first job in business was as a secretary. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I went on and got an MBA and landed here in Washington, D.C., actually, working for AT&T in a very uh, low-level entry job when AT&T was a million employees. Mm And really didn't think that corporate America was the place for me, but figured I'd get some good experience. Mm-hmm. And ultimately ended up leading the spin out of the technology arm of AT&T, which became Lucent Technologies, right. and was recruited from there by the board at Hewlett Packard to lead Hewlett Packard. Which I Big did story. for six tumultuous for those, years. For those
2: who don't know, we should know it's the most storied, one of the most storied tech companies in yes. history.
0: one of the most storied tech companies. Actually, Hewlett and Packard started Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Actually, right. And Dave Packard and Walter Hewlett um, started Silicon Valley. They were the foundation of Silicon Valley. So it's yeah. a very storied company, but right. it was a company that had lost its way right. truly, and. Missed nine quarters in a row, profitability failing, and the board was looking for a transformational CEO. Mm-hmm. It was a great privilege to lead HP for six years, and uh, it was a tumultuous time yeah, you and didn't a tumultuous have an easy time. departure. Yeah, so <laughs>
2: talk about that a little bit because, again, you were one of the first women CEOs who so had a lot of attention on you and a lot of – you attracted a lot of criticism and and talk a bit about that experience of being there as CEO.
0: Well, first, you know, when you're different, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's just true, mm-hmm. and I was different in every conceivable respect. Mm-hmm. I was the first woman. I was the first outsider. Yeah. I was the first non-engineer. Right. I landed from the East Coast in Silicon Valley, where the archetype CEO was a brilliant, arrogant, nerdy—yes, cult of founder man—and mm-hmm. uh, so everything was different. From the moment I arrived, mm-hmm. people were obsessed with my clothes, my hair. There were rumors circulating in Silicon Valley for years that I had built a pink marble bathroom. Mm-hmm. False. That I traveled with a hairdresser and makeup artist at all times. False. I mean, it was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, on top of all of that, you add the fact that I came at the height of the dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. And then we went into the dot com bust. Right. So it was a very difficult time right. to navigate a company through. Well, then one of the emulate- issues
2: was products. Like uh, it, you had all made so much money on printers and all kinds of different things, and then uh, things shifted really quickly in terms of the business. Well,
0: when I arrived at Hewlett Packard, we made all of our money right. on printing. Mm-hmm. We had eighty seven separate business units. Mm-hmm all with their own CFO, P&L, chief information officer, HR officer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was this bloated, out-of-control bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. Right, Mission creep, which always happens. Well, mission creep and growing at less than 2% in the middle of the biggest technology uplift in history, Mm -hmm. for a company that large to miss nine quarters in a row is really hard to do, and yet we had... Mm Profitability deteriorating across the board. This was a company that was in trouble, and yet it was also a company with a very proud history and culture. And so in that circumstance, change is always going to be very difficult. It is even more difficult when the currents around both the CEO but around the industry – are very swift-running, and that was clearly the case. Did you expect
2: the the amount of pushback? Because one of the things you had done is you had tried all kinds of things. I remember you you all tried to do an iPod that was branded. You tried to do a whole bunch of—those are the prominent things, but you did a wide range of things, including acquisitions.
0: So, no, I wasn't surprised at Mm -hmm. the pushback. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I tell aspiring leaders all the time is— Criticism is the price. Mm -hmm. Criticism is the price. I wasn't surprised by the criticism. I wasn't surprised by the pushback. And in fact, the transformation of Hewlett Packard was very successful, not without setback, not without bumps, Mm -hmm. as no change process can be smooth. But the transformation succeeded. And... I knew when we set out to acquire Compaq that the stock market wouldn't understand it. I remember mm-hmm. going and visiting. Explain what that is for people. Okay. Compaq was so we acquired Compaq at the time. It was computer the large uh, computer uh, manufacturer. They had previously acquired DEC, mm-hmm. uh, so they had both very high end computing as well as PCs as mm-hmm. well as services. The acquisition was necessary for us because. Customers were demanding system solutions. Mm -hmm. We had many of the piece parts, but not critical mass. We had evaluated literally every alternative in the marketplace. This was clearly the best alternative, and yet, Conventional wisdom said that after the dot-com bust was over, it was all going to go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. So everyone assumed, oh, no, no, we're going to have the pure software play, Microsoft, the pure storage play, EMC, the pure PC play, Dell, the pure router play, Cisco. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what everyone thought was going to happen if they didn't know much about the industry, honestly. Right. And so we were saying, no, actually, the system play is where it's going. That's clearly what happened. But I knew the market wouldn't understand it because stock markets honestly follow conventional wisdom a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, remember the financial crisis. It was all going to be great until suddenly it wasn't. And so I remember meeting with the board of Compact Computer before we announced our deal. The bankers came in and told the compact board that their stock would appreciate by 10 or 15%. And I said in front of the bankers, it will not. Mm -hmm. Your stock will drop, and our stock will drop. Mm -hmm. And our stock will drop because the market will not understand this deal. They will over time. We're not doing this for a short-term pop in the stock. We're Mm -hmm. doing this for the long-term leadership in our industry. But we're going to have a rough go of it. And that was before the Suns... Mm -hmm. of the founders decided to wage a proxy battle and try and stop us. (laughs) Right,
2: right, right. So tell me about that. What what mistake do you think you made in that? Just not anticipating the resistance or, or a strategic error? I don't think I
0: made a strategic error, honestly. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but the proxy battle occurred not because we had made the wrong strategic move. (laughs) The proxy battle occurred because actually we had made exactly the right move. And what I mean by that is... The sons of the founders, mm-hmm. who had never been involved in the right. company, whose fathers actually had said publicly that they wanted to keep their sons mm-hmm. away from the company. The sons of the founders knew that as the company got larger and more successful, it would separate itself from them and their legacy. Their stock holdings would be less Powerful, Mm -hmm. They would own less of the overall shares of the stock. And so they and their foundations decided to fight us. Um, Should I have anticipated that? Maybe, although honestly, when you have a unanimous board Mm -hmm. saying we're going to move forward with this deal, you actually don't expect Mm -hmm. the children of the founders to say, no, actually, we don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the market was quite shocked and surprised. In the end, we won that battle Mm -hmm. resoundingly, despite the fact that they owned almost 25% of the stock. So think about that. Given the amount of stock they owned, we had to win virtually every other shareholder, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we did. But you were damaged
2: after that. I mean, that fight really—
0: No, I actually don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think what happened was—I mean, the papers wanted to—the press wanted to say that my ouster from HP was about the merger. Mm -hmm. I I don't actually think think it was. was. Oh, I know what it was, and I've been very public about it. The ouster was around the fact that we had two board Mm members— Who began leaking confidential board conversations to the press. The reason they did that is because they had very clear ideas about who should go into what job. Mm-hmm in the management team. And I disagreed with those ideas, but more importantly, the majority of the board disagreed with those ideas. Mm-hmm. And so after a lot of discussion about their ideas for who should be in which job, we took a vote in the boardroom and said, we're not doing that. We're doing something different. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't think it's a board's job to manage a business. It is a board's job to govern a business. Mm-hmm. Right. These two board members didn't like the outcome. And so they went and talked to the press. And I woke up to see all of our board conversations on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. That is a violation of a board member's code of conduct. Mm -hmm. It is a violation of confidentiality. And so I called a teleconference of the board and I said... I will not stay under these circumstances. Mm -hmm. So either the people responsible for this leak have to come forward and we have to talk about why this is going on Mm
3: -hmm.
0: or I'm not going to be here. Mm -hmm. And a major fight ensued. And ultimately we had board members resign over this. I ultimately chose not to cast a vote, Mm -hmm. although I could have. I was chairman and CEO because Mm -hmm. I felt the board needed to make a decision about whether or not they were going to confront this behavior or not. Mm-hmm. They chose not to, and I left. And so, a year later, of course, these two board members were fired. There was a huge scandal because yes. the rest of the board was engaging in spying on right. those board members. It was right. called pretexting. They right. went up on Capitol Hill. I mean, it was this unbelievable yeah. scandal. Yeah,
2: yeah, which you missed. But what would you have done differently? I mean, you know, being you know, being in your position the nights were definitely out for you. I mean, you're too marketing, you're not tech enough, you're not this, but it was sort of a moment. What would you have done differently when you're looking back?
0: What I would have done differently, honestly, is tackle the board sooner. Mm -hmm. So remember that when um, I mean we transformed virtually every part of the company the management team mm-hmm. the product line our engagement with customers what I didn't do was transform the board and I didn't because I felt I wasn't in a position to so well, it's I like was the third rail sometimes Well I was hired by a board mm-hmm. to be a transformational CEO I didn't pick the board members, mm-hmm. they picked me. Right. Then we went through a merger, and in a merger, of course, major acquisition, board members are negotiated on. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't feel that I had a lot of latitude, given all the battles I was fighting, to go pick a fight with certain board members. Mm-hmm. But there were uh, a, two who left who were active CEOs, that I should have worked very hard to keep on. Mm-hmm. And there was one who returned that I should have blocked from returning. Right.
2: All right. So you here you are, find yourself in this situation. W- what did you think right after? Because it was really quite a thing uh, when you were outside. Well, it was quite a thing. Yeah. So
0: I'll tell you, um, one of the most wonderful things that happened to me is that my good friend Steve Jobs called me. Mm-hmm. So Steve and I uh, would you know compare notes and chat did and, DLC, yeah, yeah. and um less than 24 hours after this news break, Steve Jobs calls me at home mm-hmm. and he's spitting mad. And he said, Oh, I can't believe how stupid these people are at HP. He he got very frustrated with mm-hmm. HP all the time actually. He said, I just can't believe how stupid they are and they're gonna regret this and this is a terrible thing. And he went on and on. So that made me feel good. <laughs> but then he gave me incredibly important advice. He said, Carly, don't do anything for six months. Don't make a decision for six months. Wait. You're gonna feel differently. And it turned out that was incredibly important information and advice because I got inundated with phone calls. Uh, Literally, hours later, President Bush calls, come work for the administration. I got all these people calling, do this, do this, do this. Right. And Steve Jobs' words rang in my ear, don't do anything. I mean, I was exhausted. Right. I was traumatized right. at some level. Embarrassed.
2: You wanted to be unembarrassed. I wasn't
0: embarrassed, no. actually. Okay. I right. was never embarrassed, mm-hmm. honestly, Kara, because mm-hmm. I was very comfortable with how I had behaved. I'm not saying I was perfect, but I was... Honest throughout, candid throughout, I said what I meant. I behaved consistently with what I believed. I was not embarrassed in any way, and I felt as though my soul was intact. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, the press was brutal, Mm -hmm. and I was exhausted mostly. Mm -hmm. And so Steve saying wait was incredibly important, and I did wait. Mm
2: -hmm. So you did wait, and then you started to do— A variety of things. Talk about what you've
0: been doing. Well, you know, what I realized after waiting for six months Mm -hmm. was that I didn't really want to rush into being a CEO again. Mm -hmm. That that had been an extraordinary opportunity to do something huge and impactful and meaningful. And that my bar was going to be really high Mm -hmm. after that. And so I went back to the touchstone I always go back to, Mm -hmm. which is... I want to make a positive difference. And I think people have enormous potential. And I like to help people unlock their potential. Mm-hmm. I went back to that, mm-hmm. and so I got involved in a number of fantastic nonprofits, and I began to advise other businesses. And then I, because I love challenge and I run to problems, I said, "Gee, politics is kind yeah. of a screwed there you up mess. California, let me, yeah. let me, let me go look at this problem."
2: Right? What prompted you? And you'll explain. You know, that was quite a run, too. <laughs> that was, you know.
0: Well, it was quite a run, and yeah. you know, I don't mind this tough challenges. This is California. Yeah. No, actually, it's Senator. Senator. Sorry, Senator. No, I'm sorry, Senator from California. No, oh, that's all right. Um, we had another. CEO running yes, for governor right. at the same Meg, time Meg, Meg. Whitman I'm not so that's trying to confuse you No 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 it's a lot of people get it mixed right. up You know um I don't shy away from challenge otherwise mm-hmm. I never would have taken HP and I never would have run for senator and you're of California you're running for Republican Yes so Barbara Boxer is right. a longtime incumbent Right Honestly, what prompted me was I do think that we have way too many professional politicians. Mm-hmm. I think most Americans agree with me. I think we have people in both parties who actually don't know anything about what mm-hmm. they're talking about. It's not that they are bad people, all of them, but if you have spent all of your life in politics, running and winning, running and winning, running and winning, you actually have no idea mm-hmm. what the people are doing right. that there you claim there. to care about, and right. you particularly don't have any idea about what's going on in the businesses in California. And frankly, I got angry because I could see what was happening to California um, middle-class families, just getting pressed and squeezed. More businesses leaving every day, and it was all as and a you didn't result want to run of for policy. You didn't want to run versus senator. What was that calculation? Very different jobs. Very different jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the calculations was that Meg Whitman was already running for governor. I mean, and she's a very capable individual, Mm -hmm. capable executive. So that didn't seem like the place to go. That doesn't stop a lot of people, but okay. Well, it didn't seem very practical to me, Mm -hmm. and it didn't seem very productive to me Mm -hmm. to run for governor, to challenge her for governor. And I saw the damage—this, you'll have to remember, this was at the time when— California's droughts were very bad when the water policy coming out of Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. was Mm -hmm. crushing. Senator Boxer in particular Mm -hmm. was, I thought, dead wrong about the water policy in California. And it was having real impact on real people's lives, which is why I had a number of Democrats in Central Valley endorse me, Mm -hmm. because Boxer was incredibly counterproductive about water policy.
2: How do you look at that campaign? The sheep aside, which I, I loved your sheep commercial. I loved the sheep commercial, <laughs> too, by the way. Uh, a lot of other people what, do, too. But what, how but, Who thought of that? Was that uh, you? You had to No, thought, you I didn't know. think of it. I had to, you had uh, to approve agree with it, Why, it? Why with did you it, like obviously. the sheep? These were the zombie sheep, essentially. Well,
0: you know, it's so ironic now. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we are in 2019. Yeah, we'll get
1: to that. Right? But, we're, but we're, I mean, we're, think we're, we're back. to the, Trump.
0: The sheep ad was about the fact that there was this— charge that someone was a Republican in name only. I mean, it's honestly funny to think about it now. And so much of political discourse and political ads— political charges, are just when you step back from them, ridiculous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so for me, this ad sort of crystallized the ridiculousness of that in mm-hmm. a very memorable way. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly memorable, because here you are <laughs> now, the all sheep. these years later, <laughs> right. saying,
4: I love the
2: sheep ad. I did. I like them more now. At the time, <laughs> I was like, what is going over on Carly in his house? What's happening over there? Um, but the, the run, again, wasn't successful. Why do you, you know... Oh, against- why wasn't it successful? <laughs> for every
0: stakes, it wasn't successful. <laughs> Because among other things, California is not Republican. California is a okay. deep, well, deep blue state, and Barbara it has Boxer had, it has
2: had governors who are they yeah, had people, long, long time people time Wilson ago. Was lost, right? Oh, Schwarzenegger, um,
0: Schwarzenegger. Was. Yeah, a long time ago. But right. first of all, there are things that I'm very proud of in that election. It was a three way primary, mm-hmm. which I won resoundingly, and I won more votes in that election while losing it, mm-hmm. than any other Republican running anywhere in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of votes, and I'm proud of that. But ultimately, there are just a lot more Democrats in California than there are Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. And as you'll recall, the entire Republican ticket from the top down was wiped out.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely, all of them. So you you do that, and it's tough to lose a race. It's tough even if you probably aren't going to win it. It's still something you put a lot of heart into. And you moved— Pretty, your name kept getting popping up at different administrations and things like that, as I recall. Um, you didn't take a job in Washington.
0: No. Because? Um, I'm pretty picky mm-hmm. about what I do, mm-hmm. meaning I don't feel any need— to be given a job or a position or a title to prove something to mm-hmm. someone else. I, I really don't. Well, it
2: does help for a later race. I mean, a lot of people do do that. I'm thinking you running do, for president. Yeah. A lot of people do, but I don't. Right. A lot of
0: people do, but I don't. And mm-hmm. so nothing interested me. Mm-hmm. If I'm not going to—if I don't feel as though I can make a positive impact, mm-hmm. if I don't feel that I will be satisfied with how I'm spending my time— mm-hmm. I'm not going to take the job, so, whether it helps me or not.
2: So you go into a presidential, you just go, right? You didn't go very quickly, but you decided to run for president. In
0: well, I did a lot of those things yeah. in the meantime. Yeah, you absolutely. know, I ran major nonprofits, right. and I got to learn a lot about what goes on out there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I think lack of political office— is not disqualifying no. to be president 100%. of the United States. No, I see that now. We're <laughs> and by on. the way, most Americans agree with that. Yes, we I actually agree. need yes. more outsiders, yes.
2: not fewer. I agree. We're here. With- Whatever you think of the current <laughs> No, no, uh, I get it. President, I get it. I get it. and I, it. I was
0: never a fan.
2: All right. We're going to talk about your run for office in 2016 and more when we get back. We're here with Carly Fiorina the host of the leadership podcast By Example and the author of the book Find Your Way, Unleash Your Power and the Highest Potential. She also was the former CEO of HP and a former candidate for a Republican nomination for president in
4: 2016. We'll be back after this. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life.
1: We're
2: here with Carly Fiorina. Everyone in Silicon Valley knows who she is. She was a former CEO of HP. She also ran for uh, the Republican nomination in the last election, to that which seems like 109 years ago. Yes, precisely. it does, it? So, w- what prompted you to do that? Besides the fact that you don't have to be a, po- I agree with you. I think it's that's a ridiculous argument. Despite uh, Donald Trump, I think it's a ridiculous argument that you can't have done anything else. And and I agree with you on professional politicians. But how did you think your chances were then? Because um, there's so, ma- it was sort of like the same landscape that the Democrats face now you know with with yeah. Marion Williamson Cory Booker all over the place
0: Well I knew the odds were long mm-hmm. I also thought it was time for a problem solver in Washington. Mm -hmm. The reason people are sick of politics is because problems never get solved. We just talk about the same problems Mm -hmm. cycle after cycle after cycle. We're still arguing about immigration. We're still arguing about debts and deficits. We're still arguing about social security. We're still arguing about health care. We're still arguing about veterans affairs. The problems never get solved because politicians aren't incented to solve problems. They're incented to win.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: And winning is a fundamentally different dynamic than problem solving, which mm-hmm. requires collaboration and finding common ground. Mm-hmm. Winning is about pounding your opponent into the dirt, mm-hmm. unfortunately.
2: Although and you've so, never seen anything like it but 2016 in the Republicans. No, it's
0: true, but the dysfunction had been, I argue that Trump, although he's brought it to a new level, Mm -hmm. Trump is the result of dysfunction, not the cause of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So I thought it's time for an outsider, somebody who actually understands how to solve problems. I had done a lot of public policy work by Mm -hmm. then. I had been intimately engaged in public policy in the Defense Department, in the intelligence community, in the State Department. I understand business and government are different. But I also understand that there are things that we do in business that could help government.
2: Right, absolutely. So that's and what, that I understood a lot about government. And that's how you put yourself out there. I mean, Howard Schultz has done it, and this election cycle didn't work out well for him either. Um, but you, you got in there and immediately controversy because of misogynistic stuff from Trump. Were you surprised by that during that
0: uh, that that debate? Which was the first debate? It was the second, second. But it was the first one when I was on the main stage. Right. So. When my staff first told me mm-hmm. that Trump had said this, mm-hmm. I literally laughed. Right. And I laughed because I have been dealing with men talking about my appearance for so long. Yeah. Yep,
2: you're used to it. You
0: know, been there, done that. It's either a positive comment or it's a negative comment. Yeah, neither
2: one is welcome, by the way.
0: They're both totally inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And so— at the time, my staff was, you have to say something. And I said, there will be a time right. when it's time to say something. Right. And, of course, the time was the debate stage. Right, right. We were there. And so w- what did you want to accomplish
2: there? Because it's really hard. Like, various women candidates have had a very difficult time pushing that back. And Megyn Kelly tried it, uh, you know, on stage about his discussion about women. Talk about how difficult that is to do that in the setting of also trying to put yourself as a can't just a candidate. Um, and you had sort of the business bent, not unsimilar to Trump. He was pushing, "I'm a businessman. I'm an outsider." Similar messaging that you had.
0: Yes, of course, he's not a businessman. Oh, he's we'll never been a businessman. <laughs> no, no. He is an entertainer. Right. Exactly. Um, but I knew that I would get asked on the debate stage. Mm-hmm. I did not know precisely what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. I was a candidate who never had lines Mm -hmm. ready. Right. But I had thought about it. And what I thought about his comment was, been there, done that. This is so typical of so many people, unfortunately, and it's completely inappropriate. At the time— he gave me my line. Because Mm -hmm. right before I said, every woman in America knows what Mr. Trump meant, Mm -hmm. right before then, he and Jeb Bush were having an argument. And he had accused, Trump had accused Jeb Bush of saying something inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And Jeb Bush defended himself. And Trump said, well, everybody knew what you meant. And so the second he said that, I knew I had my line. Right, And so I then said, I think every woman in America understood what Mr. Trump meant, right. and of course they did. And then Mr. Trump said, oh, it's a beautiful face. What he didn't understand was what he thinks of my face. Not only could I care less, mm-hmm. but it's completely irrelevant mm-hmm. and inappropriate.
2: Were you surprised by how successful he was with stuff like that? Because it never seemed to stick, and it's still—well, and well, now it seems like
0: it might be sticking. Sadly, but... I'm not surprised. Right. Sadly, I'm not surprised. I mean— in some ways, we have come so far. And in some ways, we haven't come very mm-hmm. far at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, think how few women CEOs we still have. Right. There are more men named James right. on the Fortune 500 than there are women CEOs. Right. We haven't budged at all in terms of the number of women who sit on boards in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Not We haven't budged at all in 30 years. So on the one hand, you would think, wow, we've come so far and in, on agree, the other too. hand we haven't come very far. Yeah, the far numbers at all. out of Silicon Valley. We'll get to that in a minute. And so no, the yeah. point is I'm not surprised that that stuff is still successful and I'm not surprised that unfortunately there's still a lot of guys sitting around punching each other in the ribs going, "Yeah, yeah, well, I mm-hmm. mean, good, you for, know, him. good, good for, for him. Good for him."
2: Right. Sadly. So inside that campaign, it, it was surreal, it must have been surreal as as it started to like, how did you? Because you, you really were like doing. It was the outside. You were the outsiders. Yeah, you know everybody else. looked. Poli- it was, was a, a career politician. It was, was
0: a it? well, ben Carson, ben Carson was an, Carson, a, was an outsider, but yes, it was a tough road. On the other hand, I'm quite proud of the fact we outlasted senators, sitting governors. Mm-hmm. We raised a ton in the of money. Thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, we did pretty well for quite a long time. I kept thinking. As I'm sure many people kept thinking. I kept thinking, surely people will figure Trump out. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. Or they did. Or they did. Right. Um, he clearly tapped into a deep-seated frustration and feeling that people had been disrespected. People, I think, concluded, he is going to fight for me. Maybe he's an uncouth SOB, but he's going to fight for me and no one else will. And they think will. he was a
2: businessman, which he isn't. Yes.
0: They, uh, the Apprentice convinced millions yeah. of Americans that he actually was a business person. And so, I understand why it happened, but I kept thinking surely he would get uh, revealed and I worked hard to ensure that he wouldn't be the Republican Party's nominee right. because I thought, and still think, that he has done lasting damage
2: mm-hmm. to the party. We'll talk about that a little bit. So you didn't get it. You pull out of the race, and you don't. You don't participate. You don't participate in this administration, obviously, a lot of people, a lot of—you're sort of the classic Republican in that in that regard, uh, in, or maybe you don't think of yourself that way. Well, I, it's business. hard for me
0: to know what the Republican Party is anymore, mm-hmm. but I know what I believe mm-hmm. based on experience. I believe that every person is filled with potential and that someone's circumstances, their appearance, what they believe, where they come from— should not prevent them from fulfilling their potential. Mm -hmm. And too many people are prevented because of circumstances or appearances or beliefs or where they come from. I believe that people closest to the problem know best how to solve it, always, if they're given a chance, Mm -hmm. if they're given the resources. They can figure out how to make something better, and people 3,000 miles away usually can't. Mm -hmm. And finally, I believe that power concentrated is power abused. Mm always. So, if you have too much power concentrated in the hands of Washington, which we do, and which we have for 50 years, it's going to be abused. Just as if you have too much power concentrated in the hands of Facebook executives, we'll be talking about that in the next it's going to get abused. Yeah. Power concentrated is power abused. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Based on experience. And so, I think power and money and decision making need to be dispersed out of Washington. I think we have to break up powerful lobbyists, powerful bureaucracies, powerful centers on Capitol Hill. Which was the message of Trump, drain the swamp. Yes, that was the message of Trump. And of course, was I don't think the t- swamp is getting drained. No, in fact. At all.
2: He is the swamp <laughs> at this point. So how do you assess the current situation with the Republican Party? Have you thought about running again? Have you?
0: Well, uh, look, the Republican Party has made it very clear that a primary, at least till this point— that a primary opponent is impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, There will be no primaries. There will be no debates. Delegates have pledged their loyalty to Trump. By the way, um, that pretty much happens when you have an incumbent president, Mm -hmm. but it's happened to a really startling degree. What I find really discouraging is the fact that people will not speak their minds. So mm-hmm. I wrote a post 2 weeks ago mm-hmm. in which I said we pledge allegiance to the flag, not a party. Right. We pledge fidelity to the constitution, not a president. It is not our job as citizens to pledge loyalty to any public official mm-hmm. nor loyalty to the orthodoxy of a party. That's not how our country is built. And so I think as citizens, we have an obligation to be informed and we have an obligation to speak up. I've also said publicly that character matters, behavior matters, tone is set at the top. And Trump's behavior, his tone, and his character are destructive.
2: So what happens? I mean, Ben Whitman also spoke up like this. One of the few, at least, tech, Republicans who spoke up about the same thing. How do you assess now and and put into context before this past couple of weeks? Because I think something is maybe not. Like everybody, you know, there was a very funny SNL skit, like nothing's going to happen. Like everyone's like, now we've got him. Talk about what it's like, to, what the modern Republican Party looks like under these circumstances and what did they, what happens.
0: Well, I do think that politicians play their part. Mm -hmm. Sadly, it's why people don't trust politicians. Mm -hmm. So what is the part of a Republican politician today? The part, apparently, of a Republican politician is to base their words and their behavior on their political Mm self-interest. And their political self-interest demands right now that they stick with Trump. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to stick with him as long as they judge their political self-interest demands that they stick with them. Mm-hmm. Is it disappointing? Absolutely, but I think it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. I think, as a citizen, and in this country, citizens are sovereign. Mm-hmm. Actually, we've forgotten Allegedly. it, but we are not politicians. I said we need we have a duty to inform ourselves. I read the whole Mueller report cover Mm -hmm. to cover. Maybe not everybody wanted to, but I felt I needed to because I wanted to form my own opinion. Mm -hmm. And my opinion is, having read that report cover to cover, that at the very least— President Trump's conduct is unbecoming. And at the very most, he was clearly engaged in an effort to obstruct. Mm -hmm. I think that's just crystal clear from that report. Mm -hmm. Now we fast forward. To a much shorter document. To a much shorter document, which there's no excuse for anyone not to read. The transcript Mm -hmm. of that call, which the White House released, is crystal clear. This is, at the very least, conduct unbecoming a president, and at the very most, it is an absolute equating by the president of the nation's interests with his political self-interests. Mm-hmm. I think he honestly believes his political self-interest is the nation's interests. Mm-hmm. That is the definition of an autocrat.
2: Mm-hmm. So what happens with the Republican? You're still a member of the Republican Party. You still, I assume, chat with the politicians. I guess. <laughs> no, you're not a Democrat, Kylie.
0: I, I, well, I don't know what being a member <laughs> of the party a means. Right. But— right. Uh, I'm a citizen first. Let me just say that. I I don't know what happens. I I think, honestly, I do think that Republican politicians, with some notable exceptions, and you see a few elected officials expressing some misgivings and doubt. It's the the Romney. I I think as if the polls continue to move, I think you'll see more expressing doubt. When I say their political self-interest, if the polls continue to move in favor of at the very least, an impeachment inquiry, you s- may see more politicians speak out. But I just think this transcript of this call is crystal clear. Mm-hmm. You have a president sitting in the residence, apparently, but ostensibly in the Oval Office, asking a foreign government to, to dig up dirt on his political opponent. Mm-hmm pretty black and white
2: right which is why they hid it which is why they tried to they tried to hide it which was impossible so what happens from your perspective what do you think happens you just don't know you just still-
0: well i think the impeachment inquiry is ongoing i think the white house apparently now will make a judgment about whether to obstruct an impeachment inquiry or not. Obstructing an impeachment inquiry is far more serious than mm-hmm. simply failing to comply with a subpoena. subpoena. I think the Democrats are on a course from which they cannot deviate now. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, I think both parties are going to play their part. Mm-hmm. And it is the American people's part that is most important now— what is it that we as citizens think about this
2: so how do you assess nancy pelosi's actions since she's been very canny i think very slow to move and
0: yes i think nancy pelosi has handled this given her position as leader of the party as well as speaker of the house i think she has handled this extremely well i think she has been careful she has been sober she has been mindful of public opinion. Uh, she hasn't spiked the football. And she has unleashed a process which now no one can control. Mm-hmm. It's going to go where it goes,
2: right? And as a Republican, what does the Republican Party of people like you and others do? I mean, you must you're in touch with all you know.
0: I'm really not in touch with not, most of them right. on the hill. Would I, you think run they, again? I think they know what what I think, right? What, what and you, I think what I well, think wrote is about not it. welcome yeah. right yeah. now. So,
2: but, but or quietly welcome or well, whatever. Yeah. But
0: I wrote what I have written to encourage citizens to make up their own mind, mm-hmm. and. I wrote what I have written to ask people, whoever and wherever they are, to remember the fundamentals of what we learn in this country. Mm-hmm. We don't pledge allegiance. We don't swear loyalty to any president. Right.
2: Absolutely. So do you think you're going to run again? Do you think about Oh, I have no idea. Do you want to?
0: I will see. If you had asked me five years ago if I was going to run for president, I would have laughed. It's not how I make decisions. You still live in California? No, 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 no. We different. moved back home to Virginia, Virginia eight years ago. You know, I say this in my book, Find mm-hmm. Your Way. Mm-hmm. I do not have a destination in mind. I never have. I didn't plan to become a CEO. Mm-hmm. I didn't plan years in advance to run for president. What I hope mm-hmm. is that I spend my days making a positive difference, running at problems. I love challenge. And there comes a time when an opportunity presents itself. And I say okay, I can make a positive difference here.
2: Gosh, I plan everything like I'm Rommel heading into the desert. Anyway, when you well, get back, we're going to talk about that. Uh, well, read I my book, Carrie. Read my book. All right. Um, when we get back, we're going to talk more with Carly Furian about Silicon Valley and how she looks at that industry, which she was an important part of for a long time. Right now, she advises both for-profit and nonprofits and also has a podcast by le- about leadership called By Example, which we'll also talk about when we get back. We're here with Carly Fiorina, who is probably best known for running for now, for running for presidential nomination in 2016, but she was the former CEO of HP, one of the most uh, storied tech companies in Silicon Valley, uh, and she now runs Carly Fiorina Enterprises and uh, works for a number of nonprofits and has written several books. So right now you're doing that. You're writing books. You're working for nonprofits. You are you you have a podcast, by example, um, on leadership, and I want to get to that at the very end, but talk a little bit about Silicon Valley now cuz since you've been running and other things have been out of it there's been a tech lash, I guess although some people say it's only the press making up I don't think it is I think people are worried and concerned here in Washington and other places and, and deservedly and justifiably so about the growth of these large tech companies looking at it from Virginia now what do you how do you look at it
0: well, I think there are two things going on. And first, I agree with you. There is something going on. I said in our last segment Power Concentrated is Power Abuse. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have too much power concentrated in the hands of too few people in too few companies. Mm-hmm. The power of Facebook, Google, Amazon, just to name a few, is enormous. Those companies have more power than the oil barons mm-hmm. ever had. Mm-hmm. It's too much power, power into our lives. And we now know that these companies are less than transparent. We know that they use their market power to crush rivals. We know that they are taking advantage of consumers. And we also know that the products that they put out there are not always used For good and healthy purposes. We know all that. And yet, there are a few, a very few executives who have enormous power over these enormously powerful companies who have preferential shares of stock. They can't be fired. Yes, they can't be fired. So power concentrated is power abused. And by the way, Silicon Valley in general suffers from a fatal Lack of humility, mm-hmm. all of which is coming out, because what you hear in these executives' tones, honestly, is yeah. but, but I mean well, right? But yeah, I mean I'm so sorry. well. I, I I have lofty objectives. Mm-hmm so sorry. That's not enough.
2: One thing I did like about you all the time is you didn't ever pull that line. You never, you were like, I'm here to sell stuff, essentially, or I'm here to make stuff. And you see it in companies. You see, you know, even though Tim Cook does talk a big game, he is pretty clear about privacy and things like that. I want to separate people out. Right now, I think the big companies we're talking about are Facebook and Google, essentially, with with the side of Amazon and a little Twitter. Because as Mark Zuckerberg said today, you know, in a a leaked audio of a meeting he had, Twitter, they spend more money on safety than Twitter has in revenue, which was another backhanded slap to to compare. It's incredible how, to me, that comment of all of them, and there were many today in this, that Casey Newton had these leaked videos about how he's going to fight the government, that Elizabeth Warren's a pain in the ass, et cetera, et cetera, was that. Because I was like, how petty can you be that that's what you're going to you that's who you're going to insult in front of your employees like it was i was sort of struck by that most of all but talk about what what happens in these companies because there were you know we had IBM you know you were around for those years you were around for the microsoft trial is it that different or is this something fresh
0: a fresh new hell essentially i think what's different so let's contrast IBM mm-hmm. or even Hewlett Packard How large companies have been governed historically Mm -hmm. versus Facebook, Google, Mm -hmm. Amazon, even Apple, honestly. A large corporation is governed in such a way that, yes, you see boards that are totally dysfunctional that let CEOs get away with craziness. I Mm -hmm. mean, look at the board of GE that was Mm -hmm. asleep at the switch for 10 years or Mm -hmm. the board at GM that was asleep at the switch for a long time. So it happens. But what's different in Silicon Valley is you have this Archetype of the brilliant founder, the brilliant founder, the visionary leader who has preferential shares of stock and right. who
2: explain that people they have they never can be fired they they control yes in everything. essence
0: they control they may not control everything but they control so much of the company's stock mm-hmm. that their vote the boards don't matter matters more than anything else right. and most of the time these founders hand pick their board members right and so what you have is. One person, a couple people in the case of Google, who literally decide everything. And so their power is enormous. And of course, add to that the fact that they are what the stock market loves Mm -hmm. rapid growth without profitability for a long time, but now, of course, huge profitability as well, huge profit rapid growth so the market keeps giving them the leverage and the latitude to do whatever they want mm-hmm. that kind of power that kind of adulation mm-hmm. from everyone so, looking like, up and down yeah yeah does that go to people's head of course it does mm-hmm. power concentrated is power abused mm-hmm. that is an age old Truism. Well,
2: this is interesting because you were friends with Steve Jobs. I didn't find him that way at all. I was like, he no, was an Steve, interest, even though Steve he had jo- a lot of power. Yes,
0: yeah, Steve Jobs had a lot of power. But Steve Jobs, remember that Steve Jobs, first of all, he was fired by his own board. I mm-hmm. mean, he came in and out. And he built Apple from the time he came back in from what was not Bankrupted. a powerful a company at bankruptcy. all yeah. into a leader. So that's a— to me, he was a different kind of guy. First of all, Steve was, and I'm not objective about Steve because he was a very dear friend. Steve had humility. Yes, he could be a tough guy. Yes, he could. Um, he had very clear vision very passionate. for what he was trying to do. Yeah. And he suffered fools not at well, all. Well, I used to say
2: everyone said he was heartless. I said he had too much. He was.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was heartless. No, he he was
2: too full of heart. I mean, it made
0: him, like, angry. He was a visionary. So, for example, his vision, which at first no one understood, was I want my products to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I I want people to love them. Mm -hmm. And people thought he was smoking something, literally. Yep. But of Cheap course he was sometimes. absolutely Yeah, but of course he was absolutely 100%. right. hundred percent. He was a hundred percent right. And I also think, um, you say Steve had too much heart I think I know what you're saying. I might say it slightly differently. I think Steve had a lot of soul. He was a very soulful yeah. person. that's what I mean.
2: I think they so he kept him. His he He was cold. I was he like, someone's like, he was cold to me. I'm like, I knew him. I interviewed him nine times. He was not cold. No. He cold was, was the last thing he was. No, he was not cold. He was cold. sharp. He could be rude. He was different. But it was all on the... All there. That's what I appreciated about it. It wasn't subterranean as it is with so many of these other CEOs. You know what I mean? The rage. Like I wrote something today about these. You know, when people are like, "How do you co- how do you t- account for the contrast between Mark said in public and private?" I said he's raging, really. Like there's ra- there's rage underneath that never. Uh,
0: well, I do articulates think itself. when when someone lashes out like mm-hmm. that, whether it's Mark. Zuckerberg or President mm-hmm. Trump, and by the way, they're not com- no. comparable in no, many ways, no, no. but they lovely. are comparable in this sense. Mm-hmm. They are both used to control. enormous power and control, and they are under pressure now. Right. And that's what happens. Right.
2: So when you have this situation, because I think one of the things that Steve Jobs unfortunately did is this, this cult of founder, No, everybody, they were sort of uh, pattern matching, pattern on that, on him, this idea of a cult see it just wasn't one like yes, him. Yes, from
0: Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, it, which but he no was one was it. up to the
2: task. I mean, but but they were pattern matching in a very different way because like, he did take input. Like he did, t- it was interesting. More so, and I think people were always surprised by his friends. Like Larry Ellison was a friend. of yours. I didn't realize you were such good friends with him. But one of the things I thought. What has happened is that they have people around them that lick them, them up and down every day, and they have this enormous power. And at the same time, they pretend they don't have power, which is really irritating. Like, let's all work together to fix this. If I hear that from one more CEO who has complete power, I just am gonna just hit my head on the wall. Like that. Well, it is disingenuous. Yeah. Obviously, let's all work together. I said, let's give me some yes. of the money it, and, the, it, and the voting share. Sure, yeah. Then it we is can talk. it
0: is disingenuous. Right.
2: So what happens then? How do you change it? Because you have these, you know, not just Mark, but you have uh, the, Google guys, the Google guys. You have Jeff at, at Amazon. How do you?
0: Well, so I do think that there is a role for government and regulation in preventing the concentration of too much power. Mm -hmm. I think there's a role for regulation in the energy industry, and I think there's a role for regulation in the technology industry. Mm -hmm. There is too much power. What does that look like? I mean, he attacked Elizabeth Warren in this. Yes, so my point of view is Elizabeth, Mm -hmm. where I differ with Elizabeth Warren Mm -hmm. is— her solution. When she says Washington works for the big and powerful, Mm -hmm. I agree with her. I said that during my own presidential campaign. Because when you have big, complicated, powerful bureaucracies, they only work for the big and powerful. Mm -hmm. Big companies can lobby, rich people can lobby, little companies can't, little people can't. Where I differ with Elizabeth Warren is her solution is to give government more power. Mm -hmm. Let's build bigger bureaucracies. Let's take as much power as we can and concentrate it even more in Washington. And I don't think that solves the problem. So the role for regulation that I believe is that regulation should set a floor, not a ceiling. There is no floor in technology today. No, there's no technology loss. companies can do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows anything until it comes out. So we need to set a floor. And I think what Elizabeth Warren would argue is, let's set the ceiling. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that So works. what is the floor? Well, for example, there should be a floor of transparency around what consumers must be told. Not they have to dig through 20 pages of fine print to figure out what's actually being done with their information. Mm-hmm. No, there should be bold frequent, easy to read disclaimers of what is going on with your information. Just as, for example, we've changed lending forms or Mm -hmm. credit card forms to be bold, clear, simple disclaimers. Mm -hmm. The same kind of thing should go on in technology, Mm -hmm. just as but one example. I think, secondly, I've said this since I was the CEO of Hewlett Packard. The tax system ought to be leveled so that there is not such a huge advantage in terms of ordering things online from a tax perspective mm-hmm. as opposed to going to a retail store. As an example, you've got to level the playing field. As a third example, the Internet cannot be the wild, wild west, mm-hmm. which it is today. It should not be permissible that in social media – Anything goes. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't let anything go in the public square. Mm-hmm. Well, social media is the public square but it isn't. today.
2: It is and it isn't. It's owned by billionaires. It's a public. Yes. It's a private square owned by billionaires It acts as a public square.
0: Yes, and that shouldn't be permitted. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we have an epidemic of child pornography mm-hmm. online... That Times piece was devastating. ...is... Should not be. Mm -hmm. Government has a role in that. So
2: what would you do? You were, you you know, Elizabeth Warren's calling for the breakup. Would you think some of it should be broken up? It's been effective before.
0: I I don't dismiss that idea.
2: And and the, uh, go ahead. ahead. Well,
0: I don't dismiss that idea. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that that is the right answer at this time. I think, frankly, there hasn't been enough homework done on the state of play. Right. But, uh, and I would hope that would get bipartisan support, mm-hmm. honestly, from both Democrats and Republicans.
2: You argue why it would be a good thing and why it would be a bad thing. Say it's found. They're doing—the states are doing, attorney generals are doing it, the, the Justice Department, when it's not flying all over the world, doing funny things. Some of the people there actually are doing their jobs uh, are doing The FTC is looking at it. Many people criticize the FTC's low-level fines. But I just had the commissioner on, it and she's like, we can't do it. We don't have enough resources to be able to monitor these companies.
0: Well, let's just talk about the states for Uh a moment (laughs) because I actually think the states have been far more effective on some of this stuff than the federal government. To me, it's an example of people closest to the problem know best how to solve it. Mm -hmm. Who is it who finally tackled the opioid crisis? The states. Not the federal government, under Mm -hmm. Democrats or Republicans. The Obama administration did nothing Mm -hmm. with it. It's the states Mm -hmm. because they're close to the problem and they see the devastation. And so I do think... It's another example of where I differ with Elizabeth Warren. Let states' attorney general go after this stuff. Unfortunately, I think the California attorney general probably won't go mm-hmm. after it. Let's just well, say one got more a lot thing. Its yes, fighting. but let's just say one more thing here about power. Mm-hmm. Think about the amount of money <laughs> that these Silicon Valley companies have contributed principally to the democrat mm-hmm. party but now over time to the republican party as well. Right. Think about the amount of money that has been spent lobbying right the federal government to stay out of our business. Right. And the amount of money that silicon valley executives personally have given political candidates why to keep people out of all this. Mm-hmm. And it's worked, yeah. for a really long. What's time. What's fascinating will
2: be, say Elizabeth Warren is the candidate, and they have the existential crisis of giving to Trump. They'll do it in a second, in a heartbeat, I suspect. But it's a really interesting thing because they sort of put themselves out as a tolerant group of people. As a, but you're right. They'll t- they'll take they'll give anybody money. They'll give everybody money. So one is the states attorney generals. Uh, what about fines and oversight and national privacy legislation? I do privacy, think fines, national and, I think fines and
0: oversight and. A level playing field in terms of privacy Mm -hmm. legislation makes sense. That's what I meant by a floor, (laughs) that we ought to have some level. We have none, yeah. We have none. Right. We have none. And consumers are ignorant, and it is disingenuous in the extreme. For Mark Zuckerberg to show up in front of Capitol Hill and say, "Oh, our privacy policies are clear." Mm-hmm. No, they're not. Right, and they're not even adhering to their privacy policies as we now know. So, what do you predict is going to
2: happen? Is this going to change the value? Because what I've noticed, instead of being changed or chastened in any way, because I've been pretty tough on them on the on this particular issue, it's not the, my issue. Is them taking no responsibility for their damage that their inventions do, and I think they have to. One, two, they're too powerful. Three regulation is coming, so let's try to figure out a good way to do it and to keep innovation. Let's go to their argument that if we don't, if they're not this big, they can't fight China. If they're not this big, innovation the big problems can't be solved because little companies can't do it. That's you hear that from them a lot. Uh, if they're not allowed to do what they want, we're going to ruin the great engine of growth that is tech.
0: Yes. Well, of course, those are the arguments that you're hearing. Um, So, number one, I would say they're not spending too much time fighting China. They're Mm -hmm. spending a ton of money taking advantage of the Chinese market, Mm -hmm. honestly. Uh, Number two, their power is itself a deterrent to small startup companies. Because any time a small startup company looks successful... They buy it. Mm-hmm. They buy it. And so, in fact, they are retarding innovation in Silicon Valley. The, the other thing that I would say, I'm going to use a, a phrase that I won't quote him because he might not like me to mm-hmm. quote him. But uh, let, let's just say he's been around Silicon Valley a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And he's a very prominent person in Silicon Valley who described to me, the kind of innovation that's coming out of Google and Facebook as froth. Mm -hmm. Now, they would be very offended by that. Mm -hmm. But in fact, there are a lot of these apps and leveraging social media platforms. To your point, a lot of harm is done. Mm -hmm. It's not arguably all good. It's not clear that these are all game changing innovations. None of them. None of them. Although they are on? behavior changing, yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yes. as we're finding out. Has Twitter has changed politics right. forever, I right. think. And so I think that's right. I think there is so, a lot of frost and a lot of money getting made.
2: So let's finish up on what you think the most See, to me the important innovations are coming in other areas. This is just they're, they've been doing nothing but spinning their wheels for a while now. And it's so because you would agree so, with froth <laughs> totally. Froth, I think, is kind. I don't even think it's. I think it's nothing. It's almost nothing as fr- I mean, I think it's. Uh, I just don't have any respect for it. I don't think. I think there But there is innovation in AI. There's innovation in cars. I mean, it, when you think of space, when you think of climate change, I. I keep saying the next. The world's first trillionaire will be the
0: climate change Yes, I think climate change is a huge opportunity, opportunity for right, innovation. Exactly, right. Besides which is a huge why pro- challenge, it's also a
2: huge Republicans opportunity. Republicans
0: ought to get on board right. because it is so, a huge so, opportunity so what a, for name innovation. Name three
2: or four, we only have a few more minutes, of what you think. If you were a young executive
0: right now, what would you go into? So I think climate change, alternative energy, it's a huge area for innovation. Health care mm-hmm. remains a huge area for innovation. Space, I agree with you. I'm so delighted to hear you say space. Uh, I think food. space, food, water, mm-hmm. actually, is a huge area for innovation. What would you
2: do right now? Carly Furian is 24 years old. What would you do right
0: now? Well, see, I, I don't look at life that way. All right. So at 24 years old, mm-hmm. I had just landed in at and My first client meeting was held at a strip club because that's where the colleagues went, and I was just trying. (laughs) I wore, at the time, there was a book called "How to Dress for Success." (laughs) Oh my god! So business for women and a bow tie and a very severe suit. I look like an idiot, Uh but I survived the encounter. (laughs) Ah, ah. My point is this, and really, it is one of the main points of my book. I have never planned my life. Right. But I have tackled the problem that was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what What's I would be What's the problem doing right in front of 20- Carly
2: Fear and right now The problem
0: right in front of me right now is we don't have enough problem solvers in this world. Mm-hmm. And it's why I do the work I do mm-hmm. because Leadership is all about solving problems. It's not about title. It's not about position. It's not about even power, although some leaders have power. Some good leaders never abuse it. But leaders solve problems, and we have all these problems that aren't getting solved because we're waiting for the politicians to do it. They're not going to because we're waiting for the founder CEO to do it. They're not going to. People closest to the problem know best how to solve it. So, you know what I do every day? I go out into communities and I meet with people who are sitting there facing festering problems and they get together and they make it better. And that is uplifting, joyful work. We need more problem solvers, less talkers, less politicians. More problem solvers.
2: All right. On that note, Carly, for you, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a much better interview than our last one. <laughs> you, can, you had a severe suit on at the time, I recall. You, were, you, you looked the CEO. You
0: definitely. do. I have no recollection of what I looked like. But <laughs> was I find flawless. it
2: fascinating that you do. <laughs> I do. It was because I just like crap. I'm dressing like crap right now because I'm going to get on a Peloton, Carly Viorina. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Carly, where can people find you online?
0: CarlyFiorina.com. It's so easy. Please go on to CarlyFiorina.com. All right,
2: let me ask you one more time. If President Trump loses this election, are you going to run again? Oh, 20- who knows? Oh I haven't you learned? I don't plan all my all life right, too whatever. far in advance. fun. Never it, like, say I never. Big, I want a big stinking Republican convention. It'll be <laughs> great. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode. I'll be back here on Wednesday, tune in then.